It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 7th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. New COVID restrictions come into force from today. Thomas Leo Radker says that's peculiar because the number of new cases, the number of hospital cases and people in ICU and the number of deaths are starting to fall. But Christmas is coming and there is a risk of the virus transmitting more because people traditionally socialise more at this time of the year. Flu is expected this year and will add pressure to the health service. And the third reason for implementing restrictions, the government says, is because so little is known about the new variant Omicron. Because it's rapidly spreading, it's going to spread. But does it cause severe disease if you're vaccinated? Not by any account that we've seen so far. The vaccines work. But the experience in South Africa where this variant was first discovered has not been good. There's been a huge surge in new cases. In South Africa is there's a 23% last week vax full vaccination rate. When you have low rates of vaccination and a highly transmissible variant, then adults can't protect children. They are not vaccinated yet. And this was the pattern that we saw with Delta in rates of low vaccination. Everything is about being highly vaccinated. So I'm not worried about children in the Bay Area because of our high rates of adult and even 5 to 11 and 12 to 15 year olds vaccination. This is Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease specialist talking to NBC News. In Ireland, 93% of adults are fully vaccinated. This is how you protect children that are unable to be vaccinated is having the adults vaccinated. We saw this exact pattern with Delta. We protected our children because the five eleven year olds couldn't be vaccinated when Delta surge was here in rates places of high vaccination. If you have twenty five percent vaccination rate, no one is safe. Here, as you know, most of us are vaccinated. Let's talk to Dr. Mary Scully, a GP with the Abbey House Medical Centre in Navin. Good morning to you, Dr. Scully, and thanks as always for joining us on uh, the programme here this morning. I think uh, we're probably uh, seeing a different experience in this country than the one we heard there from Dr. Gandhi in California at the moment because we're seeing a significant increase in the amount of cases in uh, children aged under 14, up 21% last week compared on the week previous. And now almost a third of all cases are made up from that cohort of children under that age group. Why do you think that is the case? 
Well, it's because they're unvaccinated. The vast majority of, um, you know, well, certainly none of the 5 to 11-year-olds are vaccinated. And while, you know, there isn't the same, I think, percentage vaccinated in the um, 12 to 18-year-olds either there was sort of you know but they're, they're, the rates are still quite good but it's mainly because they're not vaccinated they're all kind of together during the day at school um you know and whatever they're doing afterwards or play dates or whatever but you know it's because they're huddled together it's cold weather mm. and you know and they're not vaccinated and is this a, a new phenomenon as such uh, because i think a few weeks ago uh, you were looking at figures of about three percent of the new cases being made up of uh, such young children yeah, it's hard to know why it's suddenly taken an upturn. I mean, the, the, the rates in the younger age groups were always high in recent times because of their low rates of vaccination. But it's taken a sudden upturn, and it's not really quite clear why. Perhaps there's even more socialisation because it's again, coming up to Christmas. Um, you know, and people want to their children to be able to have a kind of a normal Christmas. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and are you seeing it in your practice, more young children coming uh and uh, testing positive for COVID? Yes, we are. We we are seeing definitely a lot of childhood viral illness. Um, There's not only COVID out there. Um, there are other conditions. There's a common cold. There's an, another one called RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. So there's quite a lot of kind of um, just ordinary viral respiratory illnesses and we would commonly see at this time of the year anyway. But the trouble is we don't know if they're COVID or not because the symptoms are the same. So they all have to go and get tested. And yes, there is a Quite a few of them are, you know, coming back positive. Mm. I was very interested, actually, uh, watching those HEPA filters uh, being used uh, in uh, one of uh, the schools on television news last night and how they were saying that it doesn't just help to stop the spread of COVID, it steps it helps to stop the spread of all of the viruses and you could have children going mm. to school and maybe coming home without a cold, which would be uh, very interesting in itself. How, how concerned are you about Omicron? Uh, there's very little known about it at this stage, except that it seems to be very virulent. Uh, it seems uh, to spread to a lot of people very quickly. That seems to be the South African experience, but the experience from there so far seems to be that not a lot of people are getting very sick, not on the same scale, it would seem, or, or the uh, same severity of illness uh, in terms of Delta. Yeah, I think that's kind of the main plus about Omicron, if there are pluses to be had about it, and that it doesn't seem to be causing very severe illness, but it certainly seems to be highly transmissible you know, even relative to Delta, which we thought was also very transmissible, but it seems to be even more so than that. I mean, if you look at the way the case numbers have jumped in South Africa, it's unbelievable, going from like 300 a day up to like 16,000 a day. You know, it's it's crazy numbers. And I also heard about some place where they had uh, an outbreak um, in a restaurant and um, with people who ha- had Omicron in it. But apparently the people who came the next night to the restaurant also got Omicron because it was still hanging around and transmitting, you know. So it's a really very highly transmissible virus. But I'll say the only plus about it is it doesn't seem to be causing very severe illness. But, uh, yeah, we, we wait and see what's going to happen and, you know, whether the vaccine is going to give us adequate protection or not. Right. So it, it was lingering in the atmosphere 24 hours yeah, after. apparently. You know, so it's quite scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. OK, that's scary, I think, is the word, and especially when a GP describes it as uh, scary. Uh, something else uh, that I, I was reading uh, that seemed scary to me is something called multisystem inflammatory syndrome of children. Uh, okay. This is a phenomenon, particularly in the 5 to 11 age group for children who develop COVID. Uh, they present, first of all, asymptomatic. 
uh, and uh, then they stop shredding the, the virus. But a month later, apparently they come back to fever or to ho- they come back to hospital with a high fever, pneumonia, uh, and then there's problems with the heart, liver, and kidney, uh, and occasionally have to go into ICU. That's uh, serious, uh, as you'd imagine, uh, if it's uh, something uh, that. Uh, can be commonplace in young children or, or, or is it a, a very rare thing if they get COVID? I think it's pretty rare. I remember there was a lot of chat about this when COVID first appeared, um, which is now nearly two years ago. Um, and there was a lot of chat about this multi-system inflammatory disorder in children. But I haven't heard much about it of late. So I'm not sure that it is that common. Um, I think it's a fairly rare complication um, in children. Mm. You know, so um, I don't think we need necessarily worry about it too much. Okay, uh, and just to worry about it in the way that you would normally worry about it, uh, and do what you can to protect yourself from COVID. Uh, mm. And uh, where do or uh, how do the uh, restrictions uh, that are being introduced now uh, feed into all of that? Uh, are, are they adequate in, in your mind? Uh, do you support what's being suggested to parents uh, that they cut down on socialising, that their children cut down on socialising, uh, and uh, the restricted uh, meeting of uh, people in uh, family homes and so on? Um, yes, I do agree with this um, because, you know, I, I like as you said at the, at the start of the programme, yes, the case numbers are dropping, but there are so many, you know, factors that are going to possibly increase the numbers again, like more socialisation around Christmas, like this Omicron um, virus variant that's, you know, even here at the moment, and who knows how much it's going to spread. So there are a number of factors that that mean that the case numbers are likely to increase again. And we really don't want to have the hospitals completely swamped in January, which is traditionally kind of probably the worst months for, you know, um, trolleys and no beds, etc. So I think we have to be cautious coming up to the Christmas period. Mm. So we've a new variant, uh, we have a high rate of disease, we don't know what's going to happen with the new variant on top of what we're living with uh, and I take it it's the same old advice as you say uh, it was December two years ago when they first discovered this in Wuhan I don't think many of us heard of Wuhan uh, but uh, we all know it's in China we now, it's a big that, city yeah. and we know all about it now as we know an awful lot about it, an awful lot of things that we didn't know about two years ago, uh, but it's washing your hands, cough etiquette, wearing a mask, getting vaccinated, all of these things I take it. It's all of those things it's the basics just all over again you know we have to just keep washing our hands wearing masks cough etiquette um, and getting vaccinated as you say Okay. All right. Look, thank you indeed uh, for joining us as always. Uh, That's uh, Dr. Mary Scully, who's a GP with uh, the Abbey House Medical Centre in Navan. Uh, I'm not sure if you were watching Claire Byrne last night, uh, but uh, it was uh, very upsetting, I think. Um, Trying to think of a a diplomatic word uh, to describe uh, the treatment uh, that some uh, shop workers uh, uh, and restaurant workers uh, were having uh, to experience uh, from people who didn't want to wear masks uh, and were putting it up to them. You saw the man from Niddle, you saw the people in the fast food restaurant uh, and they were uh, very aggressive, uh, I think it has to be said, and seemed to have their own understanding of uh, the law and all that kind of thing and, uh, you know, didn't want their personal freedom to be infringed and they had their rights and all this stuff that they go on with. Uh, It was interesting then as well to see uh, that a woman was sent to prison yesterday. Uh, This is a 66-year-old woman uh, who said she was out shopping for her grandchildren's Christmas presents in Cork. Uh, She had been before the courts on several occasions before that uh, because she wouldn't wear a mask in shops and in restaurants uh, and she was told uh, uh, that uh, she 
was to stay away from shops. It was one of the bail conditions uh, and... Anyway, she ended up uh, being jailed for 90 days last July for refusing to wear a mask out shopping. Um, She said it was because it was taking away her freedom. Uh, And the judge asked her why she didn't uh, abide by the conditions of her bail. And she says, I take each day as it comes. Uh, The judge tried to point out to her that wearing face masks is like wearing a seatbelt to protect yourself in case you crash into something or someone hits you and also because it's the law um, and he said I can't have you putting other people in danger and blatantly breaching court orders it would be sending out a message that court orders mean nothing I'm very sad to do this but I have no option uh, and the judge said she's entitled to reviews but not to the detriment of public health and therein lies uh, the message uh, I think uh, for some people who refuse to accept the public health message um, a tree has fallen down on the Dundalk Road outside of Carlingford, uh, on the way out of Carlingford near the nursing home there. Please avoid that. We've been asked to mention that to you. Somebody else texting us in as well to say that uh, the electricity is out in Slane. Thank you for that too. And indeed, if uh, you do want to make comment on the programme or to let us know what's happening as a result of the storm, the storm this morning, uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you uh, and we'd be happy to pass on that information. But thanks to those of you who have been in touch with us so far today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, nightclubs are closed and will not open until at least uh, the 9th of uh, January as a new raft of uh, restrictions restrictions come into play from uh, today. The government is promising to review supports for hospitality. Let's talk to Parik Cribben, who's Chief Executive of the VFI, the Fintners Federation of Ireland. And a very good morning to you, Parik, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. I don't think publicans or anybody in hospitality will be expecting a very Merry Christmas this year. Uh, no, I think the uh, the mood music in the last uh, couple of weeks has been uh, very negative. Uh, the public health advice has been um, don't socialise. And we've seen the effect of that in the businesses right across the country. Uh, December is a month where um, you build up a buffer for January, February, uh, because they're, they're generally very barren months. Uh, but unfortunately, this year, uh, December, will, um, it won't even, uh, t- to use that term, it won't even wash its own face, uh, let alone help to build a buffer for January, February. OK. And uh, will publicans be able to get through this uh, with uh, the supports from government? Uh, I think that depends very much on what those supports turn out to be. Uh, we had expected uh, a, a clarification on that uh, after the Cabinet meeting today. I now gather that uh, they won't be in a position uh, to make those decisions at Cabinet. They need some more time to work out detail, which is a little bit disappointing. Uh, But we do expect to get um, sight of the the detail of what the supports will be in the next couple of days. Okay, and uh, the COVID recovery support scheme, the CRSS, uh, an important support uh, that you'll be looking to see changes made too. Yes, I mean, the, the COVID, uh, the CRSS, the COVID Recovery Support Scheme, uh, has, has been uh, not available to members since they could reopen. Uh, but the government have uh, indicated that that's the mechanism they're going to use to support, to support the trade. Uh, we had a long meeting with uh, senior ministers, uh, the Tarnish, the, the, the Taoiseach, uh, Mr McGrath, Minister Catherine Martin and representatives 
from the Department of Finance yesterday uh, to point out to them the uh, inadequacies in the in the proposal they have in relation to the CRSS. Uh, th- there was an indication that they would take those on board, but again, until one sees the detail. Uh, you can never be sure exactly uh, what's Mm. going to be coming forward. It's odd. The um, big gripe is uh, this 50% threshold, isn't it? Well, that's part of it. But if you look at at the CRSS, it is based on your current week's trade versus your average week in 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And the problem with that, Michael, is that a, a a bad week in December is still a lot better than a good week in January. Mm. So essentially what we have been saying to government is that you've got to compare it month on month. Yeah. Uh, that's number one. And that's a threshold of 50%. You know, if you're 50% down in your business, mm. you're, you're still not viable. So that, that 50% needs to be looked at. Mm. So they're the two issues that, that, that we raised. Sure, but I mean, Leo Vratker, and we listened uh, to the audio of it uh, yesterday in the programme, the press conference uh, on uh, Friday, Leo Vratker, the Tonisha, said that that would probably be reduced to 30% or even 10%. Uh, yes, and we, we've 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 made all those arguments. And it's one thing saying something at a press conference; it's another thing delivering it in in actual fact. Right. What we need now is delivery. Mm. It is odd um, that uh, I mean, listening uh, to the Tonish on Friday, you would imagine that it, it just needed uh, the eyes dotted and uh, the t's crossed. Uh, but obviously, some work, more work needs to be done in respect of that. Uh, some people will be asking uh, this morning about COVID certs in pubs. Uh, the latest uh, data seems to show uh, that there's been little change, little improvement uh, in compliance. Uh, the HSE's Environmental Health Service have carried out 4,500 checks or thereabouts since uh, the 22nd of October. And it seems as though 28% were not uh, fully compliant. I think the, the, the term that was used, Michael, was uh, the, the, the latest figures I saw was that there was uh, 7% non-compliant and about 20% that needed to do some additional work. Yeah. We've been very clear. We've been very clear from day one, from the 15th of March last year, that all of the uh, guidelines need to be followed, that public health advice is paramount. We stood shoulder to shoulder with the Minister for Health on, on that fifth mm. day back in uh, March last year when, when we thought that... Uh, we were going to be closed for two weeks. And on top of that, we pushed government last year to give the Gardaí additional powers and asked for the Gardaí to use those powers. Uh, we're very clear uh, as an organisation that uh, the public health guidelines should be followed. And any of those uh, pubs out there uh, that are not following the guidelines, they're not doing themselves any favours, they're not doing the sector any favours, and they're not doing their customers any favours. Mm, and- You'd wonder if uh, they are, in part, uh, the reason for uh, the restrictions that are being introduced now. And every time this is discussed, I mean, we get messages, I'm sure you hear it yourself, Parag, and I'm not trying to rile you at a a very difficult time for you and your members uh, and the hard times that we're living through. But people do look at this and say, oh, the greedy publicans, they just want people in and get their money, get the money and run kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I do hear that myself. And I think the, the other thing is that, you know, uh, and this is, and I'm not trying to shift the, the yeah. responsibility or the blame here, but those people wouldn't be able to operate if the public weren't going into them. And uh, anybody who, who finds themselves in a situation that they're not comfortable with, uh, we we um, we know what they should do, and they know what they should do. Mm. Uh, but you know, the, the important thing here is to talk about the vast majority 
that are compliant, that are trying to do the job as best they can, that find themselves, you know, after, you know, 20 months at this stage, 21 months, uh, in an enormously difficult situation from a trading point of view, going to lose a second Christmas and essentially have the, the, the anguish and the stress and the anxiety of, of possibly looking at a business that has been there for, for generations in severe trouble and, and really uh, postponing telling people today what kind of support they're going to get is not helpful in that scenario. And we will be hopeful that the government, that because the T-shirt yesterday and the Tarnish they gave commitments that they would not be found wanting in terms of support. Uh, but we've got to see the detail because, the, the, as all this, the devil will be in the detail. Mm, I'm sure. Uh, and that's uh, the immediate future. Uh, have you any thoughts on the long term? Where do you see the industry? Where do you see the country uh, uh, in terms of being able to service people in 12 months from now? Oh, uh, if you ask me three weeks, if mm. you ask me coming up to the 22nd of October, yeah, should be reopening, yeah. today, mm. I would have told you we would be full steam ahead. Uh, as I think 99% of the country would have, would have said also. Uh, long term in this game at the minute, Michael, is more about a month than 12 months, unfortunately, yeah. because we, we have to see our way through Christmas. We have to see our way to getting back into, into, into full trading. But mm. uh, the one thing that I would say, certainly that I, I would find encouraging, is that in the, in the period when, when um, we, we could trade and we can still trade, we're looking at in excess of 90% of the pubs um, in the country trading. Mm. So there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's some level of comfort in that, but you know, there's going to be enormous challenges around um, you know, what, the, what the consumer behavior is going to be like on the one hand. There's, you know, uh, while it has been very important in the last uh, uh, 20 months, uh, there's a lot of uh, underlying debt out there in terms of warehoused. Uh, I'm sure uh, there is, PAT, yeah. PAYE, PRSI. Mm that will come into play in early, in early 2023. Uh, so, you know, the, the issues facing the trade are not just now. They're going to be there for the next uh, two to three years because that mountain of debt that's there is going to have to be sorted. Uh, and we're going to have to see how the um, public will react you know, when mm. the opportunity is to come back on a fully traded. And what odds have you got on survival rates? Uh, are the bailiffs coming? Are we looking at closures? Uh, are we looking at uh, jobs being lost? Uh, as I said earlier, the the encouraging factor is that over 90% of uh, pubs have mm. opened um, to, to trade. Um, I think the, there's, there's a number uh, in the remaining, say, 9 10%, there's a number there that feel that they don't want to open right now because they don't have the use of the bar counter uh, on the one hand or alternatively because they themselves might feel vulnerable. Uh, I think that the numbers that will uh, not come back trading is in the in the low single-digit percentages. Uh, that's initially. But as I say, there will be challenges thereafter that uh, will have to be uh, overcome. Uh, so it's one thing to start trading another thing to be in a position to continue trading and there will be plenty of challenges in that area. Okay, Parik, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks as always though for joining us this morning. Parik Ribbon is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of the VFI, that's the Vintners Federation of Ireland. 
Now, can I ask you a, a question? Well, I'd like to ask you a question on behalf of Anne. Anne would like your thoughts, uh, if uh, you care to share them with us. Anne has been on the phone to us and she uses public transport on a regular basis and she's wondering if uh, they should uh, go back to reduce capacity. What do you think about that? She says she uses buses regularly and she says you could be sitting beside someone who isn't vaccinated and you wouldn't know it. It's the same with trains uh, and so on and she just wonders if uh, they should reduce capacity or what you think about it. She asked me to ask you so that's what I'm doing and thank you for the call to the programme this morning. Thank you as well uh, to uh, the texter who says the power is off in Cooley. Hopefully it'll be restored there soon. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be hearing lots more messages like that through the day uh, because of uh, the storm and uh, we're bracing ourselves uh, as well uh, that uh, if we get power cuts it won't be any worse than that uh, and that the power will be restored as soon as possible i'm sure the esb will have their crews out working very hard uh, but let's hope there's no flooding uh, i think in drogheda and in dundalk they're bracing themselves uh, because of high tides around lunchtime and the prospect of flooding let's hope uh, that we escape the worst of the storm the weather bomb as uh, the forecasters are calling it let's talk now though about the petrol bomb uh, that uh, uh, family uh, of three it seems uh, suffered at the hands of and ended up needing hospital care one of them uh, taken to St James's Hospital uh, with sustained burn injuries uh, this is after a petrol bomb attack on a house in Finian's Park at 2 o'clock this morning neighbour cancer in Drogheda P.O. Smith is on the line good morning to you P.O. and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning what do you know about this incident? Well, just uh, as you reported th- this morning that uh, a petrol bomb was put through the front window of the house and there was uh, a number of people inside, a male and uh, two females. And uh, the male was severely born and brought to, uh, on the arms and legs and brought to St. James's Hospital. Now, I believe they're on life-threatening injuries. Uh, and also the two females were brought to a Lady of Lords due to smoke inhala- inhalation, but they've since been released. And, uh, and we're talking about a, a woman in her 40s and a teenage girl. Uh, now, I, I don't know the details of this, but uh, the way you're uh, telling the story there, uh, it sounds as though they may have been asleep in bed. Yeah, uh, quite possibly, uh, quite possibly. I mean, uh, this is around 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, like you know from past experience, when we go talking about this before, how quickly a fire can go through, through a house. And uh, like anybody that gets spawned, you know, it's not a pleasant experience, and uh, St James is a specialist born unit in 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 Dublin, and so uh, you can imagine the pain that those in, that individual is going through at the minute, and even smoke inhalation mm. can have a lasting effect on people. But it's just, you know, again, we're back to this. Like people often think that the whole thing has has gone away. It hasn't really gone away. Uh, in fairness to Angara Shikana, they they have definitely dampened it down and quietened it down to a significant extent. But there are always a very small cohort of people who are hell-bent on, on getting away. And uh, this seems to be the case in, in, in this recent attack. OK. You believe this is linked to the drugs trade, if we can call it that? Well, I mean, I, I, I can't say for certain. Uh, there's always a suspicion until such time as it's proven otherwise. Uh, but certainly, uh, I think the guards are investigating every possible uh, scenario in, in, in regards to this one. Uh, but uh, it, it just... It's something in Drada that the drugs trade is, is, a, is a significant issue still. Mm. And, uh, 
you know, I'm not saying the individuals in the house are involved in drug trade in any way whatsoever, mm. but, uh, you know, there's a lot of drug debt intimidation going on in Drada, and uh, people may not be aware of this, but this has grown significantly over the last uh, 12 months, and uh, Moylan Gaddish, Econa, have a fantastic unit there for dealing with this. Uh, we definitely need the public's help in regards to uh, reporting issues of drug debt intimidation, and, and uh, so that's another possible line that that, that mm. could be going on here. Yeah, and it would be very easy to jump to the conclusion that the people in the house uh, were involved somehow, but we've uh, discovered in the past uh, that uh, the people uh, targeted uh, were not the ones uh, who were the victims of the crime. And you'd hear of petrol bombs on the house next door or the wrong street, the right house number and that sort of thing. Uh, these fellows make mistakes. They're not the smartest uh, of uh, people at times. Uh, so we won't jump to any conclusions in that respect, obviously. But what we do know is uh, that uh, by all accounts these people are very lucky to be alive. What's the crime here? If uh, someone is charged uh, with this petrol bomb attack, what would be the charge? Would it be arson or would it be attempted murder? Well, in my view, it should be attempted murder because, I mean, that's the that could have been the outcome last night. And indeed, you know, when you look back at over the last couple of years, we're very lucky in the sense that you know, there hasn't been more people killed because of petrol bomb attacks. The indiscriminate petrol bomb attacks on a number of houses in different states across the town. And uh, so, yeah, I think it should be attempted murder, and uh, there should be uh, uh, there should be really strict penalties in there in terms of legislation. I mean, we, you know, we've talked before about how people can be intimidated if they're going to give evidence against uh, a member of a crime gang, and you know, we're told in the legislation that there are seven years. Uh, penalty for people who who are convicted of that, but we haven't had anyone convicted of uh, intimidating witnesses. Mm. Uh, and so there is a, an obvious flaw there somewhere in the sense that people don't feel secure to be able to stand up, and they believe that these individuals then be put away for seven years. So, like what you're saying, uh, in regards to, to putting a petrol bomb through someone's window, you know, when you think about it, like uh, it's a very deliberate attack. Uh, it's indiscriminate in the sense that uh, the people who do it don't really care what the damage is going to be. They know it's not just going to be to a house. They know there's a very strong possibility that somebody could be killed or seriously injured, uh, as happened last night, um, but they don't seem to care. Mm. And everybody's at risk uh, because of mistaken identity, targeting the wrong house and all that kind of thing. Uh, And uh, if uh, this starts up again, it'll leave people once again in Drogheda with a sense of fear that... uh, is too commonplace at this stage. You'd be hoping that that won't be the case. Uh, do you think that maybe it's a, a, an isolated incident? Because there hasn't been too many of them, as you said earlier in recent times. No, I think it is a rather isolated incident. I think, uh, you know, the, the extra guardy that we've got, the investment in, 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 in the Garda service in Drogheda, really made a significant difference. I think the community policing units are now active in, in a number of areas across the town and making mm. inroads. And people are gaining confidence when they see uh, the community policing units in and around the estates and getting to meet people and getting building relationships and talking with them. And that's the type of stuff that we need to continue on doing. And also linking in the community policing units with the NGOs in, in the various areas so that there is a sense then of community buy-in and people know then, listen, there's confidence here. We can actually stand up to these people. Uh, we can report and we know that we're going to be protected and we know that the state is going to look after us, you know. I right. take it that a lot of the big shots uh, are off the stage uh, for different reasons. Uh, they're convalescing after uh, attacks on them. Uh, they've fled the country. They're dead, perhaps, uh, in some circumstances, or they're in prison. 
Well, that's true. Uh, but it's like everything else. I mean, there's always someone else that's going to come up uh, who believes that he or she will be able to uh, escape the law and get away with doing things. And uh, there are also some people who really don't care one way or the other. They're just going to take their chance and they're going to do whatever they want to do. Uh, and I think that's going to be a kind of perennial problem that we have. We can see it not only in Drada, but we can see it in other jurisdictions across the across the country and in other states across the world. That's just the, the nature of human beings, I think, you know. People feel that uh, the only option that they have to make money in life and to get power in life is to deal in illicit drugs. And, uh, you know, that's just the reality that we have to face. And so it does take a community effort and a gather effort uh, to actually, you know, keep this under some sort of control or else it'll get out of control. Okay, and maybe they'll be successful uh, selling their drugs or maybe they'll end up convalescing after serious injury or end up uh, in the morgue or have to flee the country or end up in prison, as the case may be. Pio, we leave it there for the moment. Uh, It's a disturbing uh, part of uh, this story, uh, but uh, thank you indeed uh, for joining us as always. Uh, That's Pio Smith, Labour Party councillor in Drogheda. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you know, the restrictions that are, are being implemented today were announced on Friday. What is a rather peculiar situation in the course of this pandemic, for the first time since the pandemic began, we're tightening restrictions uh, at a time when the epidemiological picture is actually improving, uh, with the number of people in hospital at its lowest for three or four weeks, uh, the number of people in ICU uh, down substantially from its peak, uh, the number of cases falling are stable. Uh, and debts, uh, thankfully, um, at a relatively low level. So I think for many people, the decisions made today are going to be hard to understand. Uh, and I know for us, uh, as politicians, they're also hard to explain. Uh, but it is based on public health advice, and public health advice around three major risks that we're facing. That's Leo Bradker speaking at uh, the government uh, press conference on Friday, raising eyebrows because he said it was peculiar to be uh, introducing uh, these restrictions. Let's talk to Michael Brennan, who's the political political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post. Good morning to you, Michael. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, Tanisha has uh, defended himself saying, well, it is peculiar to be doing it at this time, but uh, he believes it's the right thing to do, and he always believed that to be the case. Uh, Does uh, that story add up as far as you're concerned? I, I think there's there's uh, two things going on, Michael. There, there's no doubt that that the Tonista and the other ministers accept the public health advice from Neffet. They're they are afraid of the potential effect of the new variant and the the increased meeting that everyone will be doing over Christmas because they remember what happened last Christmas. But the other fact is, you heard the Tonista is. Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting last week talking about, you know, he didn't think there might be need for huge restrictions. There has been that strain in Fine Gael for quite a long time that they would like to see everything return back to normal and they want to have the minimum restrictions that are necessary. So in a way, by talking about it being peculiar and so on, Leo Bradker speaking to that audience as well, saying, look, I don't really want to do this, but my hand is, is tied behind my back and I have no option. But he's there for, he's there for trying to have it a little both ways. Mm. Uh, at a time when there's been a lot of uh, criticism over mixed messaging, uh, does uh, the Tarnished hope to take control of the messaging? I, I, I think that, that, that there's always that, that, uh, that trying to gauge, gauge what will work with people. 
to be fair as well, I, I think, you know, a lot of people have mixed messaging themselves in their own heads. You know, people, I think, do recognise that there's a serious threat there and the restrictions are not coming out of thin air. But there's also an impatience with them. And, you know, people are looking forward to a, a, a better Christmas this year and, and probably still hopefully will be better than what happened last year. But, there, you know, there is a kind of public adjusting to the fact that here we here we go again after that that wonderful kind of window of hope we had for a couple of months when the vaccination rate was you know skyrocketing and the case numbers were being kept very low Okay. Well, uh, there's a lot to take in uh, and uh, people are very, very fed up with it. It, it, It's very difficult politically. Is the strain starting to show uh, and are there cracks uh, in the relationship, particularly the relationship between government and NEFID? How do you gauge that at the moment? Yeah, I think there's definitely tensions there. There always have been, you know, uh, particularly as the pandemic went on and the new government came in and there was a feeling that government needed to start running the show rather than NEFET effectively giving the advice and government implementing it without question. But I think what really happened last week, you know, in terms of the tensions between government and NEFET was not really on the public health advice itself. That was broadly agreed but it was actually on the fact that on the Thursday night, the whole country was, was waiting to see what came from Neffert and their letter and details of it start to appear on, on the likes of RT about it and ministers who were in the doll at that, that Thursday night passing things like the finance bill to implement the budget didn't know what was in the letter. Mm. And even then the next day, Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, was on, on radio. Again, she was being asked about the Neffert letter. She hadn't seen it. And all of a sudden, the government are scrambling to, to deal with it. And that's really where they got annoyed, because obviously nobody likes being kept in the dark and, and having other people know things before them. Right. <laughs> Is that a case of uh, do as I say, not as I do? Well, absolutely. You know, it's, it is okay for for one group to leak and not others. But I, the point being made to me by ministers when I spoke to them privately, though, was, you know, NEFED, they accept their bona fides, that they're that they're people of of integrity and they're motivated by by trying to reduce the debt toll from COVID. There's no question there. But they point out that if NEFED, for example, says close all nightclubs. That isn't a matter of the government just rubber stamping that. They have to reopen the PUP. They have to uh, come up with a COVID support scheme for the owners of the nightclubs. They have to communicate with the industry in advance so that they're not uh, caught off guard. There are loads of things they need to do. And Mm. the appeal really is, can we not just get the NEFET letters and advice in private so that we can make all these arrangements and then we're not rushing things and making mistakes and being accused then of making the problem worse. And seen to be chasing our tail sort of thing. Uh, But... Uh, is the NEFED advice trusted, uh, because they are talking about peer-reviewing the modelling that comes from NEFED? Yeah, I, 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 like, I think we, we'll have to do a huge review, Michael, in time to see how much of this we got right and how much of this we got wrong. I detected a little, that, that question was asked of, of Leo Radker at the press conference on Friday night, do we need to review the NEFED modelling? And, and he suggested that that would be a good idea. I detected a little bit of, 
the frustration there in the Tonnerst from the previous row with Neffet over leaking of information and stuff like that, that it was a little a little bit of a, a, a knock to them to, to suggest they need to be reviewed. But so so I look, it's always good to have another perspective, but you know, the big the big issue is government wanting to be able to, to do its work with some degree of privacy and then make decisions. I think that's that's their bigger issue at Neffet. And I should mention one other one is, is antigen testing. Definitely, there's a huge divergence of opinion between government and NEFET there, and that, that still hasn't been resolved. Mm. And the HEPA filters, uh, these air filtration systems for schools in particular. Yeah, that's, that is another issue. And we now have a kind of a halfway house solution where, you know, the government is providing some money for schools who want to put them in and to apply for it and so on having, you know, until a couple of days ago firmly maintained that there was no need for them and so on. But they're feeling the pressure on, on that and, and there, you know, the, there's definitely growing evidence that obviously ventilation and air circulation for an airborne virus like COVID-19 is huge. Um, unfortunately, it's still even the experts who are backing HEPA filters will admit it's not going to solve COVID in the schools on its own. But again, it's another measure that a lot of people think would help. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sure here plenty more uh, about all of these issues and some more when uh, the doll resumes uh, today. Uh, how are the opposition going to react uh, to, way, to the way uh, these restrictions are being implemented now and indeed to the supports that are not in place as yet, even though the restrictions are? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you'll see the opposition probably focus on two things. One will be the, the communications problems the government have had, their mishaps, their, their, their rows with Neffet in, in one way or other. And then the other thing will be, will be the supports to say you're, you need to look after particular sectors better. The, the, what you've announced isn't enough. The employment wage subsidy scheme needs to go back to what it was last week to the same rates. So that will be it. Underlying it, though, Michael, is the opposition actually are accepting the mm. public health advice themselves, and they're supporting pretty much the restrictions that are announced. But they'll criticise the way the government has done it. That generally has been their approach. Uh, and what's the public mood? Do you think how are people accepting the restrictions? I, I think you, you could divide into two categories if you want to be very simplistic about it. One is, you know, for people in the hospitality industry, you know, I spoke to a bar owner in, in, in Nina last week and, you know, he was just devastated to have lost all his Christmas bookings and be trying to manage the staff he had brought back and so on. So that's heartbreaking for people in, in who've now, you know, been restricted again. But then you, you talk to people who say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy that something's been done about it. I'm worried about COVID again for Christmas. And so if, if people are not in the hospitality industry, you know, there are people out there who support what's happening. So I think you've, you've that mixed feeling, but definitely the people worst affected are, again, hospitality. I think that's, they are, they are in a, you know, a really tough situation. Okay. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning, Michael, as always. Michael Brennan, political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post. Uh, and indeed, uh, we may hear a little bit of what Leo Vratker had to say about uh, Neffet's modelling. As Michael Brennan told us there, he spoke about this uh, on Friday and how there may be a need to review the modelling that comes from Neffet. Well, I, I definitely think peer review or external review of the modelling would be very um, welcome. Um, generally speaking, not always the case, but generally speaking, over the course of the pandemic, the um, most optimistic models have been too pessimistic. 
um, and I think any kind of external review um, uh, of those of modelling would be useful. Um, I think HPSC is taking a role in that actually um, uh, going forward, um, but we need to accept and respect the fact that modelling is all about the variables, and there are so many variables um, that you put into the modelling that it's um, they're never going to be right. Um, but it would be better if they were more right uh, into the future, if, if that's possible. Tanish to Leo Bradker and our, our thanks to Michael Brennan, political editor of uh, the Sunday Business Post, for joining us this morning. John is in Nabin and he, he says uh, we get storms all the time, uh, windy weather every year, and I'm listening to trees falling, but I, I don't feel we do enough throughout the year uh, to stop this from happening when the storms inevitably come. You have huge trees everywhere, growing in ditches along the road with nothing really holding them up and uh, big branches hanging out over the road. Why are these branches not cut before there's a chance to blow them down? There are laws for hedges to be cut. Why not these big branches on trees as they are so dangerous? It's an interesting point. I'm not sure if uh, the answer is simple at all, but uh, thanks for making the point with us uh, this morning, John and Navin. Matthew's coaches have decided uh, to take all their buses off the road uh, this morning. Uh, The last bus uh, will be out of Dublin to Drogheda and Dundalk, I think, at half ten this morning uh, because of the storm, that is, uh, and they've uh, decided that they're taking their buses off the road. That's Matthew's buses if uh, you were planning to make a journey today. Uh, And a number of other problems uh, that are are occurring around uh, the region at the moment and we should be hearing more about them as the morning goes on as well. Uh, Just have that message there from Matthew's Buses. The last service out of Dublin to Dundalk and Drogheda will be at half past ten this morning uh, and otherwise uh, the hazardous travel conditions have resulted in Matthew's deciding uh, to cancel all services due to the storm today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you're in the Slane area this morning and you're without electricity, it's quite possible that you're also without water. Uh, we've uh, been told by Meath County Council uh, that uh, the ESB outage is resulting in disruption to the water supply. That's if you're in around Beaupark, Fenor, Slane area this morning. And Worse still, it's terrible to be without electricity and water, uh, but the disruption to the water uh, could be up until 11 o'clock tonight. And God knows after that, uh, our thanks uh, to Meath County Council for that. Now, let's talk uh, to another disruption to a water supply, uh, which has been caused apparently by elevated ammonia levels in the River D. We're joined by Rory O'Murakush and Fain TD for Louth and East Meath, who's bringing this to our attention. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, this was uh, to the Greenmount uh, water supply uh, and undoubtedly affected a, a lot of people in Mid-Loud. What would have caused ammonia to come into the river, though? Well, see, that is the question. And look, I suppose the bigger question in relation to this, obviously, there was a do not consume. Um, myself, many other individuals and elected reps contacted Irish Water, weren't necessarily able to get the information um, in in relation to that whatsoever, other of uh, than just generalities around the do not consume and, and no element of a timeline in relation to when this is going to get fixed. Now, in fairness, a constituent who obviously had particular issues in relation to uh, livestock and particularly chickens, uh, like 
in her own words, badgered them till she got an answer because she needed it because she was saying, "How? De- what, what am I dealing with? What are we talking about? Because it, that there was some information in relation to going to your vet, but she needed to know the reality of, of, of what they... Uh, what needed to be mitigated against you know what I mean mm. and, and, and she was told not to let her animals drink the water no 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 and, and there are uh, obviously in relation to I, I think it was a case that and you'd understand this yourself like obviously big livestock would probably be you know in, in a slightly better uh, case than obviously smaller livestock or here smaller animals such as uh, chickens who would be more susceptible obviously to something Mm. like this but uh, she did get the information in relation to the elevated levels of uh, ammonia in the river d obviously that then uh, triggered the fail safe is what they say and but but the fact is like we're still dealing with uh, a do do not consume notice at this point in time and as i say the the message on the website and, and i've had a number of businesses and individuals contact me to say could we just get a timeline see if this is bad news we'd be happy enough to know it so we could just make plans mm. in relation to the future and i know that right water is being put uh, that that people are able to access um access water that has been made made available to them but like you know that's obviously not a long-term solution in any way yeah but it's not, a, it's not a question of fixing a pipe obviously this is a, a different problem because the problem is in the river uh, and uh, i take it the source isn't known as yet yeah, well, that, that's 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 what's said at the minute. But here, I, I, we'd like to get a lot more detail in relation to this. And the fact is, I didn't get this. Um, it was uh, it was a constituent that got it and was good mm. enough to pass this information on to me. Look, I, I've been looking since we had, I suppose, that those initial problems uh, in Dundalk in relation to the manganese, and then we had the flushing, and we all thought this would get sorted at the beginning of November. We still have water quality issues in Dundalk. There are still people who are contacting me in my office in relation to it and look i have spoken to irish water a number of times i've had meetings and i've requested a meeting and i will be putting the request to the chief executive today um in re- to deal with those that are responsible for asset management because my big fear isn't just we'll get we will get over this problem at some point yeah. and i have a difficulty in relation to the communications but i think we our big worry across the board is do we have an infrastructure that's fit to supply us with an adequate supply of healthy water and all else that's required and and I'm just not sure at this point in time. Well, you, see if well the answer is no and you never will have if people are polluting the river I take it uh, and I, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, do you think that's the case? Is this from fuel laundering? Here, I'm unaware of what this relates to in any way, shape or form mm. and see until I get greater detail. I can't make a call on it. Obviously, we need to hear and like the EPA has made multiple reports across the board in relation to some of these treatment centers, in relation to our waters, in relation to sewerage systems. And here, none of them have exactly come back with a, an A plus rating. So I, I just want to talk to the people who are responsible from a point of view of seeing what are we dealing with? Do we have a system that's fit for purpose? If we are talking about people who are polluting or that there's bad practices that are being employed, well, then that obviously needs dealt with. But we need to find out what the problem is, what causes it, and do we have the mitigations required in uh, our treatment centers? And then beyond that, do we have the infrastructure to do the business? We all know that there are difficulties. We just need to know what we're talking about and into the future, what it's going to take to fix. Right. Um, well, 
It seems from what uh, they said uh, to the woman who was worried about her chickens, uh, somebody has been polluting the river. Uh, As I said, you bring this to our attention. You kindly sent us on uh, the communication uh, to that woman. Uh, And they say that there's an elevated level of ammonia in the River Dee uh, and that interference caused disruption to the disinfection process. Uh, They say the presence of ammonia is potentially indicative of a potential pollution event. So there was potential that other compounds in the river was bypassing treatments. Uh, It does sound as though uh, this was done by somebody uh, uh, who was doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. Oh, well, here. And and yeah, if that is the case, that needs to be found straight away. But at this point, there's a whole pile of, you know, so there was mm. potential that the other compounds in the river day was bypassing treatments we need something that's a bit more clear in relation to first of all what happened what mm. exactly we're dealing with and how we treat it and then as i say i'm not just quite sure even in relation to reading this whether we have what we need um in in this treatment center to to, to deal with you know these type of situations and also have we found it like the water is back on so you know what i mean but it's the fact that we're still not sure whether this water is obviously fit for consumption like from mm. the, the, everyone's information it's do not consume so yeah, i would well, add, said, I, I would add my voice to that but, now, but and they've, again, they've said they need to allow water enter the network that had not been adequately disinfected so uh, the problem from the ammonia is causing other problems that stops the disinfection uh, which uh, is to protect against harmful microbiological parameters such as E. coli. So you could get very, very sick if uh, you drink the water from E. coli, let alone the worry about ammonia, I take it. No, 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 I, 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 I accept that. But uh, here, but we need to know what the timeline is. Mm. What, And like I said, there is no clarity in relation to what exactly has happened. Now, obviously, you get multiple opinions from multiple people and they'll tell you i have the exact information in relation to what happened now i'm not willing to go into that that's why i want to talk to the people who are responsible in relation to this particular problem and then beyond that in relation to just the wider infrastructure and what we need to do because look the fact is we're dealing with multiple issues i expect we'll have a continuity of dealing with multiple issues Mm. as regards water supply into the future but look it goes without saying michael see if someone is involved in polluting that's an act against us all it's absolutely criminal it is not acceptable and it needs to be dealt with but we also need a system where we can find a problem like that like the only good news in relation but we're looking at we're, we're, look, we're looking at a, a river that's 60 kilometers long no. I, 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 I accept that. And there will always be a responsibility to, you know, secure as best you can. And then mm. beyond that, that we need, there needs to be an onus on people. If they see something like that, they need to report as quickly as possible. Mm. And here, I accept that people that are involved in doing things, you know, subterfuge and whatever, yeah, they can be very, very clever. But, um, look, we don't exactly know what we're dealing with and we certainly don't have a timeline for the people that are worried about their water supply into the future and then we definitely have no sureties about our water supply long term. Okay, just back up uh, to what you said a, a moment ago. Uh, do you have information? Has information been given to you uh, about suspicious activity? 
Oh, no, 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 sorry, no, 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 nothing has been, I have no information in relation to suspicious activity. What I was talking about was more, um, look, there, there's people would state that there has been consistent, there have been constant problems uh, in relation to some of these treatment centres. We know we've had multiple issues throughout the state. We had the issue in Wexford. As I say, we have that ongoing issue in Dundalk and, and other such problems. And, and so th- sometimes people would have a fear that there may be issues beyond sometimes what you get in an official response. Now, I, I've, you know, I, I can't attest to that in any way, shape, or form, which is why what I've told people is I'm going to go to Irish Water, and at this stage, I'm demanding that I can have this meeting from a point of view of we can have a full conversation in relation to the particular issue in Dundalk, the particular issue in Greenmount, and that's impacting on Kilcern and uh, Dunlear and all those other areas, and then beyond that, that we will have the fuller conversation on that we have a system that's fit to deliver safe, sufficient waters into the future. Okay. Uh, the doll will resume uh, today uh, and undoubtedly COVID and uh, the new restrictions uh, will be up for discussion. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on where we're at at the moment in terms of uh, trying to uh, tackle this virus? Well, we, we all had hoped to be in a in a better place than, than, than we are now. Um, I, I, I think we, we welcome the figures in the sense there has been a stabilization even if it is a stabilization at uh, levels you would prefer to ha- uh, you would prefer not to be dealing with uh, there has been an issue over the last particularly two weeks of that mixed messaging from government um, we do need that there is that there is clarity of message we don't need the stuff that happened in relation to schools where um there was almost a language of confrontation now since that we've seen common sense and flexibility within the schools and the updated messaging and i would have spoken to uh norma foley at a committee in relation to that and and that's what 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 she did promise but but we need to get better uh, in the sense of stating what needs to be done people will accept if arguments are made in relation to what's best practice into the future and then we need to make sure that those supports that are required by both individuals and businesses are put in place because uh, we, we still have an unsurety as i say in around taxi drivers and such it now looks like uh that they may be looked after, but like this is in this is contrary to what uh, Pascal Donahue would have said previously and, and others. So look, we 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 just the whole point was that um, right, public health would advise government. Government would give a clear message to people. They would explain the reasons why people have been very good at doing following best practice, particularly when we've been in uh, dangerous times. And then beyond that, that we would provide them with the supports that would keep the businesses going into the future and also would allow people to carry out best practice. Okay. Uh, just before you hang up on us, Eamon from the Victory Centre in Dunlear has texted us and he says uh, about the water situation, it's the lack of communication from Irish Water. The website hasn't been updated since Friday the 3rd of December. It's a very serious issue that is being taken far too lightly by Irish Water. We are the customers and uh, the customer service leaves a lot to be desired, he says. Uh, we've uh, Pat McDade and Drogheda in touch with us as well and he says Michael it is very important to stress that the water available in the intermediate bulk containers the IBCs in Kilcern and in Lear must be boiled and cooled before use 
This is in the written notice from Irish Water, but I haven't heard it stressed on your radio station. Uh, is that the case, or are you aware? Do you know the answer to that? Oh, yeah, no, it does. Yep. The, the, there's a serious amount of caveats and warnings. Now, some of them might also relate to the containers that people would uh, take the water away in and, and all the rest of it. But no, that, that definitely needs to happen. In in fairness, on uh, Eamon's issue in relation to communication, like the, that goes without saying, maybe I didn't sufficiently stress that, but that is one of the issues that I've already uh, placed, obviously, in my communications to Irish Water. But it's one of those things that I will be putting directly to the chief executive that this isn't good enough in any way, shape and form. And see when people don't get mm. communications and this, these are mm. people who are mm. going out, who are contacting them, who are checking the website and they are not getting an update. They obviously worry and say, what are we not being told here? And, and in fairness, if it wasn't for my constituent that just kept going at them and you know what I mean, to get, a, to get the information that she required, like I wouldn't have the information that I give to you. That's it. We wouldn't be talking about ammonia. Okay. Well, thanks, Eamon Victory and Pat McDade. And thank you as well for joining us on the programme, of course, uh, this morning. Sinn Féin TD for Louth and Eastmeath, Rory Murku. Michael Reed on LMFM. EU rules on animal transport are outdated, misleading and poorly enforced. This is uh, according to the European Parliament's Committee of Inquiry into the Protection of Animals During Transport. The ANIT Committee has accepted recommendations in favour of the transport of meat over live animals, that there would be more control on exports and that the transport of unweaned animals below the age of 35 days should be banned unless the journey is less than two hours. Let's speak uh, to Fine Gael MEP Colin Markey who's on the line because uh, this has to be ratified by uh, the European Parliament. Uh, how do you think uh, this is going to go down amongst MEPs? It's, uh, it's been very, uh, I won't say controversial but there's been a lot of debate about it up until now I suppose there's there's really two two uh, uh, two sets of thinking on it if you like one around uh, like bringing the like if you like violations there's, there's a lot of evidence of where people aren't uh, adhering to the existing standards and there's a lot of there's a lot of effort done to make sure to, to introduce if you like to like a modern technology and different things to bring those lower standards up lower standard uh, performers up to standard whereas I suppose that that. That is where the main violations have been. And then on the other side of it, then there's people looking to push the standards higher, which in a lot of ways is impacting the guys who are doing the thing, doing the thing right or correctly. And I think that's where the, the challenge has been. Some, some of the proposals perhaps have been somewhat counterproductive, and that's, that's where the challenge lies, that some of the, the proposals might lead to more animal welfare issues rather than less in some cases. But I think the, the key thing is here to differentiate between setting high standards, which is challenging the people who are doing the thing right, and not enforcing the, the, the existing standards and making sure people comply with standards. Is it a question of costs versus standards? Because I, I take it uh, it's more expensive uh, to transport live animals than it is to transport meat. No, it's not a question of cost, really. It's a question of, a, I suppose, the a markets and whether people can, can avail of let's say a lot of the, the calves would have gone to Europe for, to, to go into the veal market, for instance, and that, that would, it's, it's access to those markets is, is what people are looking to make sure continues. 
But I suppose what everyone wants is to make sure that the standards for that are as high as possible. And I suppose the good thing from an Irish perspective has always been everyone recognised and accepted that Ireland had some of the highest standards in Europe. Mm. And yet, but, but, but the question is, why, why, why not transport veal instead of calves? Yeah, well, I suppose there's no, there's no uh, industry or no... Rec- uh, there's no veal industry here in Ireland at all. It's typically mm. in Holland or, or in the north of Spain, and that's where the the cows would have gone to in the past. So I suppose it, it's very hard to establish an alternative industry. And I suppose there are things being looked at from our from the Irish perspective in terms of other other ways in which, like, there's what to call a dairy beef index to to produce a more suitable beef animal from, from dairy cows, and things like that have been looked at. But I think the point here is that we want to, this committee was put in place to make sure there was the best possible standards in place for the movement of animals. And you have to decide which is the most important. Is it to get the people who aren't complying with things to do them right, or to set ever higher standards for the people who are complying with them? Mm. And I think there, there's where the division is. And some of the ever higher standards are actually damaging the people who are doing the thing right. They're causing backlogs on farms. They're going to mean that calves have to stop multiple times in, the, in terms of a spend like you know, if you don't understand it from a farming perspective from a health perspective you try and keep batches of calves together because then disease won't spread but this means that calves will be mixed and pooled after five weeks and kept there for a number of weeks and then moved again whereas previously the situation was there was one movement and one movement led to less antimicrobial resistance less spread of disease less stress on the animals and in the effort to try and get a better animal welfare it's actually made it worse I think you have to understand where this came from too there was an agreement made by the committee it was what they call compromise amendments which was essentially everyone agreed on a position and at the last minute then those other alternative amendments proposed which frankly I don't think were thought out and they, don't, they didn't look at the full implications of, of what that will mean in terms of stress on animals, in terms of disease, in terms of all sorts of things like that. And I think that's, that's where the frustration is on mm. this at the moment. That, okay. that some, of the, some, of the, some of the new proposals are, are actually counterproductive. All right, but it'll go uh, to a, a vote of MEPs next month, is it? It goes away. That was a committee report. So that committee report will then go to the full plenary uh, of the full... Parliament next month. Just to say, I suppose this that isn't the end of it either, because that's ultimately only what's called an own initiative report. So it's only essentially an opinion, which will then go to the Commission, and there's a call on the Commission to to bring forward proposals by the end of 2023 as to how this could be could be integrated into into legislation, if you like. So there, there's a a good road to go on this yet. It's not it's not necessarily at the end of, of where, where it's going to go. but And I would say what would be agreed by the Parliament ultimately is not binding either. So there, there's a lot of... It's more an opinion of the direction which policy wants to go. And I think the thing here is obviously everyone wants the highest possible standards, but what are and how mm. do you get them highest possible standards? Very good. OK, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Colin Markey, Finnegal, MEP. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Claire Murphy joins us for the report this week from Trim Garda Station. And good morning to you, and thank you indeed for joining us. We're going to begin this morning with an appeal for information about that petrol bomb attack that we heard about earlier in the programme. This happened in Drogheda overnight. 
That's right, Michael. Guardian Drought are investigating a serious incident where a petrol bomb was thrown through a window of a house in Confinian's Park, Drogheda, at approximately 2am this morning. A resident of the house was injured during this incident. Gardaí appealing for any information which could be of assistance in this investigation and Gardaí can be contacted in Drogheda on 041 9874200 or the Garda Confidential Line on one eight zero zero six 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 one one one. We go to Laytown next, uh, where Gardaí are investigating a couple of burglaries. That's right, Michael. Laytown Gardaí are investigating two burglaries that occurred between five forty-five p.m. and eight p.m. on Friday, the twenty-sixth of November, in the Sea View Housing Estate in Laytown. The burglars involved came in through the back door by smashing a hole in the glass of the door and unlocking it from the inside. A small quantity of jewellery was taken from one of the properties. If anyone saw any suspicious activity in the area or can help in any way, please contact Guardian Ashburn on 01 801 0600. Okay, next to Kells and uh, the landmark building that was the HSE's HQ locally, uh, there was uh, an arson attack on the building. Yes, Kells Guardi are investigating an incident that occurred on Sunday, the 28th of November at 3 pm. Guardi received a report that the old HSC building on the Dublin Road in Kells, which is beside Hedford Place, was on fire. We are aware that three youths were spotted running from the car park behind the building, across the field at the rear of the premises. Guardi are satisfied that the fire was malicious. If any persons were in the area at the time and have any information that could be of assistance, can they please contact Kells Garda Station on 04692-80820 or the Garda Confidential Line, again, 1800-666-111. Now to a disturbing story for a couple of reasons, I think, and indeed a story that may involve a couple of crimes, because we're talking about burglary in uh, an elderly person's home yesterday afternoon uh, by somebody uh, who posed to be a member of Angarda Shia Khanna uh, and uh, this isn't uh, the first time in recent weeks that this uh, uh, idea of uh, purporting to be a member of uh, the Gardaí has happened for that matter. This is uh, something that Gardaí and Trim are investigating. That's correct Michael. Trim Gardaí are investigating burglary which occurred at the elderly gentleman's home in the Castletown area of Rathmine on Tuesday afternoon the 30th of November at approximately 12.20pm. A male pretending to be a guard called to the gentleman's home and informed him that he was investigating a crime involving counterfeit notes and that he needed to see the cash that the gentleman had in order to check it. Luckily, shortly thereafter, there was a caller to the man's home and the male then fled the house empty-handed. We believe that Silver or Grey Car may have been waiting for this male in the area, but there's no better description of the car. If anyone was in the area at the time or noticed anyone acting suspiciously, a suspicious vehicle, or perhaps someone may have dash cam footage from the area around this time, they're asked to contact Gardaí here in Trim on 046 Nine four eight one five four zero, or the Garda Confidential Line again on one eight zero zero six 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 one one one. Another fire uh, that uh, you've uh, obviously been concerned about uh, this uh, in Navan uh, that uh, you're hoping that somebody can give you some information about. Yes, Gardaí and Navan are seeking the public's assistance in the investigation of a fire at Ruxton Oaks, Spain Road in Navan on Sunday, just come past 5th of December after 3pm. There was a large fire in, on a construction site where a large amount of housing insulation was set on fire. 
anyone has inf- any information that could assist Gardaí with their investigations, they are asked to contact Navangarda Station 046 9036100 or the confidential line on 1800 Okay, and uh, some air fibre cable that has been stolen that you're hoping to get some information about. Yes, Guardian Navin are investigating two incidents of theft of air fibre cable. The first incident occurred at approximately 3 a.m. on Thursday, November the 18th, in Parsonstown, Lobenstown area. The second occurred at approximately 1.15 on Friday night, the 19th of November, in the Drum Gill, Drum Conrad area. Did you see any suspicious activity in either of these areas around these times? If so, please contact Navin Garda Station 046. 9036100. Some more burglaries uh, to report on. The first of those in Ashburn. Yes, Ashburn Garda are investigating a burglary which occurred in the Milltown Road area of Ashburn on Wednesday, the 1st of December, between the hours of 2.30 pm and 11.40 pm. Anyone who may have been in the area during these hours and notice anything suspicious or you can assist in any way, please contact Ashburn Garda Station 01801. 0600. Uh, another burglary, this one in Old Castle. Yes, at approximately 1.15pm on Thursday the 2nd of December, two men pretending to be Gardaí called to the home of an elderly lady at Lurgan by Old Castle. They gained entry to the house to commit burglary. No vehicle was seen in, this, in the vicinity of this incident. Anyone who may have information or asked to contact Guardian Kells on 046 9280820. And a burglary in Kells uh, to conclude the report. Yes, Kells Guardian are investigating a burglary which occurred in Headford Woods in Kells on Thursday, the 2nd of December, between the hours of 2 pm and 6 pm. Anyone who may have noticed any suspicious activity in the area around this time or have to contact Kells Garda Station 046. And to conclude uh, all together uh, with uh, some advice for people with uh, that stormy weather out there. Yes, a status orange sorry, a status orange warning has been issued for the counties of Louth and Meath due to Storm Barra. Guardi are advising that members of the public avoid any unnecessary journeys today as high winds are expected, leading to hazardous driving conditions. Stay safe and stay home where possible. Garda, Claire Murphy of uh, Trim Garda Station. Thank you indeed. We return to the Garda Crown Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. We'll stay with uh, the storm now, though. Uh, and uh, we can speak uh, to Darren McGowan, the Director of Services, uh, Corporate Affairs and Governance, Climate Action and Emergency with Meath County Council. Good morning to you, Dara. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. I'm sure you're very busy. Uh, the storm already causing some problems. There has been some. We've had our crews out from early this morning monitoring the situation and basically there have been number of trees down from I said eight to nine o'clock was the worst time, but these have all been dealt with now, so most of the, all the roads are probably open at this stage now. Okay, and what advice have you got for people? Do you think that uh, the eye of the storm has passed over? The weather warning is remaining in place for East Mead up till one o'clock and the high winds will remain. And just to echo your last speaker there, the strong winds will create hazardous conditions on the road for cyclists and pedestrians and high-sided vehicles, so people should be careful of that. And with the high tides, the high winds and the storm surge and the high tide coming in about 1 o'clock today, there is going to be the risk of some coastal flooding at that stage. But we have our crews there standing by with sandbags and pumps ready to go if anything arises. All right, and uh, I suppose uh, the old phrase is batten down the hatches. Uh, somebody in touch with us uh, suggesting that people uh, make sure that their bins are secure if they're putting them out for the bin men. Uh, and the same applies with trampolines and whatever else might be uh, out in your garden when the winds are so strong. 
Yeah, well, we have been putting notices up for the last day or two, telling people to take everything in, even some Christmas decorations, uh, marquees, very stuff like that, outdoor furniture. So we haven't had, we'd only one call this morning in relation to an item like that, so generally most people have taken heed of the warnings. Okay. Well, hopefully they will, and as you say, that everybody will stay safe and make sure that uh, they keep everybody else safe for that matter. And thank you indeed. Uh, not uh, too... Uh, bad as things stand, although a lot of people without uh, electricity and indeed without water. But thanks to Darren McGowan, Director of Service, Corporate Affairs and Governance, Climate Action and Emergency with Meath County Council. Now, uh, thanks to Brian in Drogheda, who says there are people in third world countries who would give anything for a COVID vaccine. And here we have people who are just refusing the vaccines uh, for themselves. Not only that, but they're trying to influence others not to take them by spouting non-factual information. Uh, Brian is non too pleased uh, we'd uh, call here just if I can scroll up my screen apologies uh, from Deirdre and Kells who says uh, she uses buses a lot uh, this is in response I'm sure to Anne earlier and she says she's nervous about unvaccinated people being on the bus uh, and wonders should they not have to pre- produce a Covid cert in order to use public transport. Thank you indeed uh, for that uh, as well. Uh, It uh, was uh, I beg your pardon, Sean who phoned us uh, about the pubs. He says, they aren't doing their job correctly. This is not fair on the ones who are. When it comes uh, to this 20-30% who aren't doing their job properly by checking the COVID certs, uh, it's impacting on the ones who are. Uh, Everybody is suffering as a result. He says in some pubs it's as good as a nod and a wink, a free-for-all. And that's why we're in this situation today. If you know the doorman and uh, they let you in, uh, it seems to be the case if you're not vaccinated, whether you're vaccinated or not, says Sean. Thank you indeed uh, for sharing that with us. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch. That's our programme for today. And God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.